0: You're listening to the Sunday Morning Message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Continuing our series in Exodus this week, Captive. Uh, Last week... We saw the story of Moses' youth. We saw him being passionate for the people who he was trying to defend, um, even though it didn't really go the way it should have. And, you know, he kills the guy, probably not the best move. But we see his his story of being a defender, even as he stands up for the women who are who are watering their flock. And he uh, defends them and, and gets water for them. And that God hears the cries of the people of Israel. And that's where we left. Right. It's like God hears. We're like, okay, And so we we ended last week with God hearing their cries and starting the process, starting the plan of rescue. And this week we pick up with that beginning of the rescue plan. So if you're following along in in your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter three. I I already read the first part. But if you're following along with us, you can turn there. Um, so we see God start to get involved. He steps in to the scene to rescue his people. So starting in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire. Sorry, a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That last sentence really shows us the holiness of God. And I want to pause here because that's what I want to look at. I want us to look and pay attention to the holiness of God. Because it makes the rest of what we're going to talk about today so much more powerful when we kind of start to grasp the holiness of God, which we never will actually be able to grasp. The holiness. If you were here uh, a year or so ago, I talked about holiness, and I talked about how the closest example we have in our life of holiness... Does anybody remember what the illustration was? For bonus points? Not in heaven. You don't get heaven bonus points. Just here. A toothbrush. Thank you, my wife. I'm glad she remembered. Uh, Toothbrush. We talked about how a toothbrush is the closest example of holiness we have because it's the one thing in your life that is the most set apart. Right? Like, I had a toothbrush up here and I said, how many of you guys trusting this is a new toothbrush would use it? And everybody raised their hand. And then I like rubbed it on my arm and I was like, how about now? A few people were like, no. And then I rubbed it on the bottom of my shoe and I think Kevin still raised his hand. Did you still raise your hand? I think <laughs> somebody still raised their hand and I was like, you need a higher standard for your toothbrush. But we talked about how that's the closest example we have of holiness because it is only as good as long as it is set apart. Once it gets dirty, it's like, you are no longer my toothbrush, right? Like, and again, that's still such a loose metaphor because we can never really understand holiness as long as we are here on this earth because everything is tainted. And so it is incredible when we try to figure out the holiness of God, when we try to understand it, because we can't. For something to be holy It has to be completely set apart to the point that it is unattainable. So pure that it seems like it has never been in the same presence as something dirty. I assume that's kind of why God told Moses, he's like, I don't even want the dirt on your sandals to come near me. Take off your shoes. Again, we don't know why, but just the presence of God. And Like I said this morning, that it wasn't the fact that this bush or this place was holy until God's presence was there. That is what made it holy. One of my favorite passages about the holiness of God comes from Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet. And a prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. It's not. I'm different than a prophet because I'm just saying things God has already said, right? Like we just look at the stuff. I don't bring you any new information. God doesn't give us things to tell you. That was the job of prophets. They were the mouthpiece of God. So this is a guy that by most standards is a pretty righteous guy, one of the more upstanding citizens. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, he's brought into the presence of God. It says in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood uh, stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and he called out to the un- uh, to another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, this righteous man by earthly standards, he is completely and utterly broken. And I don't think that it's a fair assessment to think that he just says this statement with his head hung a little bit. He's like, Woe is me, I'm blah. Like, this is said by someone who is cowering at the presence of God, who's like, I wish I could just be in a hole in the ground. I do not deserve to even be in the presence of God. And again, this is a guy who God used as his mouthpiece. When he is in the presence of God, all he can feel is dirty and gross. The holiness of God is vital that we try our best to understand it. God is bigger than we can imagine. He is better than we could ever come up with. And he's so pure and perfect that he is completely unattainable. That's the purpose of the law. When you see the law and it's like this is the standard you have to live up to, our natural reaction should be, I can't do that. And that was the purpose, was to say, you can't quite live up to my standard of holiness. And again, I can't really describe it. You can't really describe the holiness of God. But when we try and we try to get that in our mind, it makes the rest of what we're going to see today so much more incredible. Let's pick up in verse 7 of Exodus 3. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and pay attention to this phrase, We're going to look at three powerful phrases that God says about himself today. And the first one is that one I pointed out. I have come down. I have come down. We don't serve a God who tries to make us earn our way to him. We never have. He created us in the garden, and he walked with us in the garden. And then here in Exodus, when the people need him, He comes down. He says, don't worry, I'm here. And as I've said leading up to this week, a lot of stuff in Exodus is going to parallel Jesus. And here we see it here is this theme of God rescuing his people from captivity. God comes down from heaven to save his people. This is what makes our God different than the gods of any other religion, that he comes to us. And not just that he comes to us, but that he is holy and he comes down to us. God had every right when we sinned in the garden to just go, you yeah, guys really messed that up and just leave us alone, right? Like we're the ones who broke the relationship. Even when he floods the earth, his heart was grieved that he had even made mankind, but he doesn't completely wipe us out. He made a way for redemption. Redemption. This holy God who we do not deserve says, I have come down. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our stuff together first. He didn't wait for us to fix things. He initiated the reconciliation. Even though we were the ones who messed up, Even though we were the ones in the wrong, he comes in and he fixes our mistakes. We have a God who comes down to us. And not only does he come down to us, but if we continue in verse 10, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of, children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. But when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And we have another powerful phrase from our God. I will be with you. This holy God that we don't even deserve to be close to. Not only does he come down from his place in heaven to save us, but he stays with us. Again, this theme of I will not leave you or forsake you that we see over and over in this book of Exodus is here in the phrase, I will be with you. This is a great God who wants to walk with us, guide us and protect us which is why we can follow him, because he is with us. That's what's cool about the imagery of fire in the bush here, is that God is... He takes the the form of fire several times. If you remember in our series in Genesis, you have the covenant he makes with Abraham where he is the fire going through the middle of the animals to represent his presence in the covenant. Here he is the fire in the bush. And we will see later in Exodus that he leads people through a pillar of fire at night so that they can follow him. He is represented, his presence is represented by that fire. And he doesn't just save us, and then leave. He stays. It's just like we talked about Easter Sunday. We have the power that raised Jesus, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. When Jesus returned to heaven, he didn't just leave us scripture. That would have been a lot. We talked about with the Gideons. Scripture is incredible. Scripture is important. But that's not all he left. He left us his spirit. God stayed with us. He is still with us. Do you have the spirit of God living and ruling inside of you? Or do you just try to keep it quiet? Are you allowing him to control your life? Or is it just something you do from time to time? Because God with us It's not God visits us. It's not God is occasionally here. It's that God is with you, dwelling inside of you. Amen? Are you guys awake? God is dwelling inside of you. This holy God that we cannot attain. He comes to live inside of us. In the Christian world, a lot of people talk about this phrase of, uh, you know, I just don't feel close to the Lord or I feel like I'm far away from the Lord. Has anybody heard this phrase before? You heard people talk about it as like a closeness with God. Let me tell you, you cannot get closer to or further away from God because he lives inside of you, right? Like you've never been like, man, I feel really far away from my lungs, my lungs. I just. I just. I'm really close to my lungs right now, and so I'm breathing a lot easier. That doesn't make any sense. The same thing. You cannot be closer to or further away from God. You're either separated from God, or His Spirit is dwelling inside of you. I will be with you. Israel spent a lot of time in pain because they didn't remember this. They forgot that God was with them or they thought he wasn't with them. They turned to other gods because they weren't finding satisfaction in the God who was with them. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only do we have, not have anything to fear, We should feel the comfort of the Lord. He doesn't only save and defend us, but he comforts us. What a great God who is worthy of our worship. Finishing out this chapter, starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am remembered throughout all generations Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you, what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. God summarizes exactly what is going to happen to the people of Israel in Egypt over the next, we're going to see this play out for the next 10 or so chapters. Wouldn't that be nice if God always did that? He was like, here, let me tell you what's coming. Let me tell you, this is, you got this, and then we're going to go through this, and then then you're going to be good, right? Like, that would be really nice, but it's okay. He doesn't always do that, but we know he's always with us. In this, this section here, we see the third thing that God says about himself. I am who I am. I am who I am. And I know at first glance, you're like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, that's just like a, Okay, you know, we hear it a lot in church, I am who I am, and it's like, okay, but what does that really mean? God does a great job of re-describing himself this way in, in Revelation, a kind of expounded version of this, if you will. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Alpha and omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, so this is God's way of saying, I am the beginning, I am the end, I have always been, and I always will be. It's the phrase, I am. It's a big description of a big God. Like if you think about how you would describe yourself, right, like if I said, I want you to think about a couple sentences of how you would describe yourself, you might Describe uh, like physical descriptions or maybe what you're good at or where you're from, Um, you know, like and they all start with I am right. Like I am a pastor. I am a husband. I am a father. I am incredibly handsome. I am from Georgia. You know, like you might have all of these statements that you you start with. I am. But for God, it's just I am. That's it. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need other words to describe God. God just is. You can't describe Him. I am. It's the God we serve who doesn't have an origin, who isn't defined by what comes after the I am, but just simply by His being. He is holy, He is powerful. He was here before the beginning, and he will be after the end. And that's what makes those first two statements even more powerful. That this I am, that he cares for who I am. Not only that he knows who I am, but which is incredible enough, right? But that he cares. He has come down. He is with us. This powerful, holy, I am God is with you. He doesn't make us earn anything. We don't have to live our lives to try and prove something to a good, prove something to be good, but in response to who he is. This is why we share the gospel, because we want others to experience the I am. This holy God who has come down to us and who has stayed with us and we can live because he lives in us amen let's pray god we thank you that you are the i am thank you for these powerful statements about yourself in exodus that when you introduce yourself to moses you list off these these three phrases to describe yourself that you are you are the I am, that you are holy, but God, that you hear us, that you have come down to us, and that you are with us. As we live our lives this week, let us not just go back to our, our standard, our, our daily life, but God, let us remember that you are with us, that the I am is dwells inside us. That you have given us your spirit so that we don't have to try and figure it out on our own. We don't have to try and keep it all together, but we serve a God who is with us, who is holy, and who is powerful. God, let that be fuel for us to tell others about you. That we would Experience it ourselves, and want to share it with others. God, let us not quiet the spirit that dwells inside us. That we would be understand. We would understand how blessed we are to have you. It's your name we pray. Amen.